So quality content is something that our buyer would actually want to read. It sounds really obvious to say, but many people make the mistake of not talking to their prospective buyers and asking them questions like, what do you read? Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Today we have Tim Matthews, who runs marketing at Encapsula, which has a $1.5 billion market capitalization. I'm not even going to explain what the company is about. I'm going to let Tim explain it. He's also the author of two books, one called The Professional Marketer and The Software as a Service or The SaaS Marketing Handbook. Tim, how's it going? It's going great, Eric. Thanks for being here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Certainly. I run marketing at Encapsula, and we are a cloud service that accelerates and secures websites of any kind. So we look at all the traffic in our cloud, and we, you know, simply put, accelerate all the good content, and we block all the attack traffic so we keep websites safe so they can do what they're meant to do. Okay. And what would be an example of this to, let's just say you're explaining this to your mom right now. Sure. The thing that we protect against that's the biggest threat to online services and websites is something called the denial of service attack. Mm. And that's when some bad guy somewhere floods your site with bogus traffic so that only the bogus traffic gets to your site and no one else can reach it. So it could be a game server, e-commerce site, what have you. And that's a real bummer for people who depend on being online for their business. That's the biggest thing that we block against. And we, we see all that attack traffic in our cloud and we prevent it from ever getting to your servers, simply put. Interesting. Okay. So you guys are mainly stopping the, the, the denial of service attacks. And then I'm assuming there's some other stuff in there too. What, what type of companies do you, do you typically work with? Yeah. So we, we work with all kinds of companies, but, um, you know, if you think about it, to, to put it simply, the companies who have the most pain when they're offline for seconds or minutes or, you know, small numbers of hours, are our biggest customers. So who are those people? Banks, e-commerce, uh, any kind of gaming sites, news sites, of course, who would lose advertising revenue, anybody like that. And the problem is that the bad guys know that. And they know how much it hurts those companies to be offline, which is why they're the prime targets. Got it. Makes sense. So what are some numbers you can share around the business today? Yeah. So uh, we today protect over 5 million websites. And this is you know an individual blogger all the way up to Fortune 50 companies, companies you may have heard of like GE and Nestle and all kinds of companies in between. We are doubling year over year and uh, the business is super healthy. And you guys have been around since? 2009. And we've, like a lot of SaaS companies, spent the first two years building out the infrastructure and the, and the application and we've been selling since 2011. So just about, I guess that's five years. Got it. So how does pricing work for Encapsula? So we have four pricing plans. So we have a free or freemium plan. Then we have a plan designed for what we call the, the pro blogger. Um, somebody who may not have a lot of traffic but needs their site to perform well and be safe. Then we have a small business plan that's $2.99 a month. 
And then we have an enterprise plan, which is $500 a month and up. I mean, you have to realize, you know, one of our customers, for example, is Nestle. Uh, and I was fascinated to find out that Nestle has over 4,000 websites around the world. Wow. For all their different consumer products in every language in every country. So as you can imagine, you know, we charge more if you, you know, have, have more sites or if you have more bandwidth that we need to accommodate on our network. Okay. So is it charged per site or is it charged per number of visitors? It's charged per site. And then we have bandwidth tiers. Got it. Got it. Um, because you could have a chicken farming website that maybe doesn't get a lot of traffic. No offense to chicken farmers. <laughs> uh, or you could have a, uh, a gaming site that has just millions of visitors for a single site. So it's not fair to charge both of those sites equally. Okay. Makes sense. So how are you selling this exactly? I imagine this isn't exactly the easiest thing to sell to people. Well, part of our problem is that we sell to everybody, which maybe sounds good to some people when they're giving their investment pitches, but it poses a real go-to-market problem. And how do you service such different buyers as, you know, a, a free blogger versus a, a big, you know, Fortune 50 company multinational? So the way we do it is uh, we have a, a freemium free plan, like I mentioned. Then we have the pro and business plans, which are uh, self-service trials uh, where you pay with a credit card. So there's very little uh, to no sales interaction with those customers unless they have issues getting set up. And then we have a sales team that uh, services the enterprise plans, which could be you know, mid-sized companies with a lot of online traffic or those very large companies that I mentioned before. So we've got those four distinct pricing plans with uh, very different feature capabilities, and also a different way we acquire the customers. Great. So talking about customer acquisition right here, it's a great segue. What's working for you? What's super effective in terms of customer acquisition for you guys? Yeah, number one for us is the combination of SEO and quality content. If you think about what we do, there's a lot of information that people want to know about how sites get attacked, how they can prevent attacks, or how they can make their sites faster, and people are searching for this every day. So, our, you know, we spend, you know, probably, you know, the most money and manpower combined on really quality content and making sure that we're constantly, you know, showing up on that, you know, number one or sorry, the first Google results page. That's probably a, a really big area for us. Um, we also spend a lot of money on CRO, so conversion rate optimization. You know, it dawned on us that, you know, we've got a very large number of people coming to our site every day and we were, we were leaky. And people were not converting or they were bouncing very quickly. And so uh, I am a, a real big fan of Optimizely. And we do probably five experiments a week to try and really keep people on the site and convert. And I can give you a couple examples of successful tests that were really simple but very effective. Yeah. Um, my favorite is, you know, like a lot of, a lot of SaaS companies, our call to action on the buttons was start free trial. And uh, we thought... Everyone else does that. Seems like a reasonable call to action. But we actually changed that for our enterprise plan only to get quote. Because it turns out a lot of enterprise customers don't want a trial. And in some cases, they can't run a trial on, you know, uh, on IBM.com, for example. You can't just run a trial for a big site like that. They actually want to talk to a salesperson, get a quote. And so changing those start trial to get quote, changing those two words resulted in a 280% increase in conversions. Huge, huge impact. And so, you know, I think a lot of people make the mistake of not focusing on um, optimization of the website. You, you ne you're never done, but it can yield great results. 
Okay. So just, just to give a little context to the audience here, I mean, you guys are running five tests per week. How much traffic do you need to be running at that level? Yeah, you typically need, uh, and, and I'm not a CRO expert, but you need probably, you know, 50,000 uniques a week, you know, to really be able to, to, to see some, you know, good quality results. Or, uh, you run a small number of tests and you just, you know, wait longer to get the significance you need to, to prove out the results. Right. And I think one thing a lot of companies forget about is, is, you know, not, not only just testing, but having that testing framework where, you know, you, you're constantly tracking these over time or else, you know, these tests just kind of get lost in translation. Is that something you guys do? We do. We have, uh, we actually work with an agency because it's a lot of work. Um, and we, we don't need to have somebody in house who's dedicated. But, um, we have a methodology where we meet, uh, every week. We have, you know, a series of tests. Uh, and we have, you know, in some cases, uh, brain dead obvious results. In other cases, we make judgment calls. Um, and we are constantly, you know, yanking out of one that didn't work or accepting one that did. Uh, and then, of course, you have to remember to actually hard code it on your site. <laughs> some people forget to actually take the test and, you know, actually code it into their uh, website. So I think it's a, a regular cadence. We have some metrics that we want to see more conversions to free trials or form fills to talk to salespeople. Right now, we're working on um, keeping people on our microsites longer, so reducing the bounce rate uh, to keep them around. So yeah, you have to have the goals in mind. You've got to have the cadence. You have to have the team um, because if you don't have the team to really manage CRO, it can get very complicated very quickly. And if you're not watching the results, you can spend a lot of money and get and get nothing for it. Makes sense. Okay. So backing up a second, you just talked about quality content. What exactly does quality content look like to you? So quality content is something that our buyer would actually want to read. It sounds really obvious to say, but many people make the mistake of not talking to their prospective buyers and asking them questions like, what do you read? What do you search for? What kind of content would you like to see from us? So I like to think of quality content as something you can write that somebody can learn something from and apply to their job that day. And so, you know, data sheets wouldn't cut it or high level overviews that are available elsewhere wouldn't cut it. Something unique to you that someone can read and learn something from. So I read a lot of great marketing blogs and I've never bought some of those products, but you know, I'm thinking about them and I think I probably learned a lot about A-B testing from optimizing these quality content. So, you know, I think people make the mistake of just dashing stuff out and they get caught up in that fallacy or maybe misnomer about you've got to post every day, every day, every day. And I'd rather think about creating a quality piece um, that can be longstanding. You know, we have blog posts from five years ago that are still in our top 10 because they're so useful and they're, of course, highly linked to. And so that's that's what I mean by quality content. Got it. And what what is your content? What, what does the team look like right now? Yeah, so I hired a former magazine editor, uh, and she is our content marketing manager. And then we've got uh, a combination of uh, internal writers and probably about 10 to 12 external writers. So I think about content marketing a lot like running a magazine. Obviously, that's why I hired an editor. Uh, and you're in constant need of content. And you know, one day we might need content about site optimization. Another day we might need content about security. Both of those things we've got in-house knowledge about. Maybe one day we need uh, something about online gaming and the challenges faced by uh, people who run gaming sites. Uh, maybe we can find a journalist who has written for a gaming magazine to write that content for us. So the good news about this is if you have somebody who knows how to be an editor, it's actually a very efficient process because you can get the best writer possible to work on that particular piece. And um, freelance writers are actually very inexpensive compared to full-time employees. So it, it works out really well. 
Interesting. Yeah, I, I think the, the big takeaway for, for this is a, a lot of people, or I should just say startups, you know, people talk about content marketing all the time, but they don't think of it as an editorial process. But then if you think about it, um, even think about journalists that are just graduating or, or people looking for work, it's, it's hard for them right now because, you know, traditional publications, they're, they're all struggling right now. But then businesses, they fundamentally, you know, I think Bill Gates talked about it a while ago saying that everybody needs to become a publisher. You see people like Gary Vaynerchuk pu- pushing it all the time. So I think that's a really interesting approach. Absolutely. And, you know, and sadly, because, you know, I'm a big reader of magazines and newspapers, it's, it's sad to see, you know, the demise of some of those publications, uh, or at least the slimming down of the staffs. But it's a boon to, you know, technology marketers uh, like us. And in some cases, uh, you know, those, those journalists can actually find a new home uh, working for a tech company and, uh, you know, increase their salaries. So that's the silver lining for some of those people. Right. And you mentioned, you know, hiring outside writers sometimes can be cheaper. The, the one thing I found, you know, I guess the key takeaway here, sharing my experience, is that it depends on the niche that you're in. For for us, you know, yeah. it being an internet marketing niche, sometimes we're paying, you know, four, five, six hundred dollars per post. So I, I guess it really depends on what you're aiming for, right? That's true. I mean, if you think about, you know, yes, it can be expensive, but you know, if you are posting, you know, once a week, so that's two thousand a month. Uh, so that's uh, twenty four thousand dollars a year. Compare that to trying to find somebody out of college here in Silicon Valley who might not even be a good writer. So you know, if when you do the math, it actually can be less expensive. But you're right, and you also you get what you pay for. There are a number of content marketing services and marketplaces, um, and you need to try them out. Uh, and you may need to pay more for higher quality content. If you want somebody who was an editor at the Wall Street Journal, you're going to pay them a lot of money to write something or edit something. Right. And, you know, one thing I struggle with is sometimes is what exactly does an editor do? Yeah. So um, it's an interesting combination of skills. You know, obviously, they, they, they edit. And, and this isn't just copy editing. This is what's called developmental editing, making the stories better sending it back to the writer with questions and suggestions. You know, I don't understand this point, or why don't you make this transition sooner? Um, another piece is uh, having a sense for where to source writers. How am I going to find a guy who knows about Bitcoin? And where am I going to look for that person? Uh, and then hunting them down and calling them and hiring them. And kind of knowing what you should be paying somebody based on their experience level. Then you want someone to help you figure out, you know, what's the right content mix? So a sense of the reader, so to speak, right? So a sense for your customer, you know, what does, so in our case, our customers are network operations or DevOps people. What do these people read? Uh, what do they want to read? Uh, what is it that they're not getting somewhere else? And then the cherry on top, if you can find it, is somebody to write uh, snappy headlines. And snappy headlines in the context of uh, online marketing is really uh, snappy subject lines for your emails or your blog posts to attract people to read them. And that's, that's really an art. A lot of publications actually have a separate editor just to write headlines. Because it is somebody who's really clever, good with words, maybe a bit punny. And so if you can find all those things, uh, you're going to be uh, producing, I think, some great content. Yeah, it sounds like this person's kind of managing the, the entire process, right? Yeah, they're a manager. I mean, I think another mistake people make is they assume that their content marketing manager is going to write all the content. And that is most likely not going to be the case. Just the sheer volume of content to think of someone that can write Bitcoin one day, gaming the next day, you know, network fundamentals or networking fundamentals, you know, another day is maybe that's the real unicorn in Silicon Valley to find someone like that. But finding someone who can essentially be a a managing editor, uh, I think is what you want to find. Right. And how much should a full time managing editor that can do all these things, how much should they be getting paid? You know, it's going to vary, but uh, you can find people for between 
75,000 on the low end to, you know, 150,000 on the high end, depending on where you're getting them from. And so, you know, compared to an engineer or even a product manager, uh, these people are uh, affordable. Um, and like I said, in many cases, you're going to be giving these folks a raise. So they're going to appreciate, you know, coming in house. Got it. Yeah, it's, that, that sounds like it's, it's the X factor for, for you guys on, on the content marketing front. What else is working for you in terms of acquisition? Yeah, something else that we uh, just started recently is an affiliate program. So for those who don't know affiliate marketing, which has a little bit of a tarnished reputation, uh, the idea is that you get uh, influencers to write about your product and in some cases recommend your product. And so what we saw was some really good conversion rates coming from review sites and blogs that reviewed our, our product or even ones that mentioned our product. And we thought, you know, how could we get more of these people to review our product and write about it? And the way an affiliate program works is you're essentially uh, paying a site to uh, send someone your way that converts. Uh, so if you think about it another way, right now, if you've got a, a technical publication, there's, there's you in the publication and typically there's Google in the middle. And Google takes their cut and gives the rest to the, the publisher. An affiliate deal is a direct deal. We're going direct to the publisher. So you typically pay less as the quote unquote advertiser and the site itself gets a bigger cut because they don't have Google in the middle. And so, um, this is a way to do direct deals with these sites. And we're just in the beginning of this process, but, uh, it's, it yielded really great results so far. It's a win-win, like I said, because everyone either spends less or makes more money. And you also are able to target better. Uh, you can you can reach out to people that are really good at writing technical how-tos or product reviews and work with them to review your product. And they've earned the reputation as, as of being quality. And so people tend to trust their opinions. So this is something that um, we're in the beginning stage of, but so far it's been very promising. Interesting. Okay. And what uh, are you guys using any specific affiliate management tool? We are. There's a product called Impact Radius, and uh, it's working really well for us. So there used to be a product out there, a marketplace still is called Commission Junction. So a bunch of the guys from Commission Junction built a essentially a privately hosted platform. Because one thing that you know B2B marketers like me don't want is we, we don't want to advertise necessarily in those public exchanges and get a lot of uh, you know junky sites recommending our software. We want quality sites that are targeted that we can speak to privately. So this kind of you know, private platform or private exchange uh, works a lot better. Interesting. Okay. So what goes on in the life of a guy that runs marketing at a $1.5 billion or market cap? A market cap. Yeah. So, and, and I'll say, you know, we're, we're the, we're the cloud slice of that, um, you know, company. And, um, I feel these days running marketing at a high growth, you know, over hundred percent a year growth, uh, SaaS company, like I'm a, a whirling dervish. I'm constantly switching gears to think about, Content marketing, affiliate marketing. How's our pay per click doing? What are we doing for webcasts? You know, how are we doing on sales enablement? What are we doing on the partner front? Which is something we're we're getting into uh, in a bigger way. So, and it's all about numbers. So I'm I'm in this constant state of paranoia uh, that my numbers are going to drop. You know, these days the thing I like about marketing in SaaS is it's really measurable. But that that cuts both ways because uh, your boss can look at the daily or weekly numbers and say what's going on. And you better be prepared um, to have answer to answer those questions. So that's kind of my life. I, I like it. It's uh, it's stimulating. If I could if I could put a euphemism on it. Great. Okay. 
So the summary would be you're basically flying all over the place all the time. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I like to think of it as, uh, you know, kind of like bees flying a, a, a known pattern. You know, I, I may be going all over the place, but it's somewhat of a known pattern. But yeah, it's, it's, it's constantly looking to optimize, reinvest, disinvest in different things, depending on how things are going. Great. So switching gears here, what's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self? I would get out of my comfort zone more often. So I, I think I'm better at that now. But, you know, in my early career, I, I, I took a number of chances and, and did pretty well. But I think if I had, you know, challenged myself on a more regular basis, which in the context of marketing could have been trying to get in touch with somebody who could teach me something or jump to a new company or try a new tactic, even if it might be risky, I think that might have uh, propelled me even, you know, farther, faster. So I think that that's applicable across whatever you're doing, sales, marketing, engineering, you know, try something new. Try something uncomfortable and, and learn something from it. What's one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone? Uh, good, a good one. So um, I'm going to go back a ways and recommend something um, that is not typically, I think, on the bookshelf of a tech entrepreneur. There is a wonderful book called The King of Vodka. And The King of Vodka is about Peter Smirnoff and how he went from a Russian peasant to owning a multi-billion dollar brand that we all know today as Smirnoff Vodka. The great thing about it is that he really took a commodity product in you know late 1800s Russia and uh, through his willpower and salesmanship and marketing savvy propelled it to be you know one of the top brands, if not the top brand of vodka uh, in today's world. He's of course no longer with us, but his name lives on. There's a great story uh, about how he did that. We talk a lot today about word of mouth marketing. And he did this back in the, in the late 1800s. And what he did was he recruited a bunch of guys who needed work. And he said to them, look, I'm going to pay you to eat and drink every day. And they thought, that sounds like a pretty good offer. What do we have to do? He said, you, you walk into a bar and you ask for Smirnoff vodka. If they don't have Smirnoff vodka, you, you, you cause a scene. You demand to see the manager and demand to know why they're not pouring Smirnoff vodka. And you know, say it at the top of your lungs so everyone, all the customers hear it. And he did this, and as the story goes, he got conversions, so to speak, uh, calls the first day, and he sent these guys all throughout Moscow to every tavern he could think of. And when they had saturated Moscow, he sent them each on a different train line out of Moscow, and they would stop at every station along the tracks and do the same thing. So I think that's just a great, you know, old-timey example of word-of-mouth marketing that was very effective, but you could think about ways you might do something like that today, either online or you know, even in the real world. That is genius. We'll definitely drop that in the show notes. First time hearing about that that book, and I actually just ordered it um, on Audible <laughs> right now. Awesome. awesome. So, great. I mean, Tim, this has been awesome. What's the best way for people to find you online? Best way to find me is to go to my blog, which is matthewsonmarketing.com. Perfect. Great. Everyone, this is Tim Matthews. Make sure to check out his stuff. Really good, actionable advice here. Thanks again, Tim. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to take action and continue growing.